Hey everyone, welcome to Embers in the Dark. Today's message is a sermon from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and it's the third part in a series on Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 called Predestined for Adoption. It was a sermon preached on the 27th of September, 2020, at Church and Alliance Church in Manitoba, Canada. I hope the sermon is edifying and convicting and that it helps you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, let me just pray quick here. Uh, Lord, in your word you have given us truth. You have revealed yourself to us. Help us understand it, Lord. Grant me clarity. Come and, and, and speak to us through your word, Lord. Teach us what we need to know in this moment, each of us. Convict us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. At first, this, this was like a six-hour-long sermon, but I had to keep shortening it because there's just so much here. Um, so I, I, we're just going to look at the first few verses. This is going to be basically the first part of Ephesians 2, and then we'll look at part 2 next week, as I said. This is what man is by nature, this one. And then next week we'll look at what man is by grace. Just three, three simple verses. So the first thing I wanted to look at was, was Genesis 1. Again, we'll go through lots of scriptures um, this morning, and I'll, I'll put them all up on the screen. So we're in Genesis 1. We are created in God's image. We are created good. That's, that's reality. It's against... Uh, Gnosticism and Manichaeism, which are, which are really, really old philosophies and heresies from the first and second centuries, that basically say, especially Gnosticism, that say the material matter is evil. So what salvation consists of is becoming more spiritual and forsaking matter. But as, as we see in Scripture, even just here in Genesis, we are created good. And that's both our spiritual side and our physical side. So I don't want to lose that. It, it's really easy to, to just focus on the spiritual side and then forsake the, the physical stuff. But the reality is, is that we were made good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So 
This is this is poetry here, Hebrew poetry. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. We are created in God's image, but as we see in Genesis, we are created good, but we are fallen. Genesis three. I won't read the whole thing. It's just there. Uh, this is basically the, the beginning of it, where the serpent comes and tempts Eve, and then and then they sin against God, and, and God comes and says, "Where are you?" Remember, they're hiding. They know they've sinned. They've they've naked. They've been naked. They've hid themselves with fig leaves. God says, "Where are you?" And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Obviously, God knows that they have. And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman, the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So this is our fallen nature. The first thing that happens, just just quickly, the first thing that happens is independence. Adam and Eve seek independence from God. He says, this is what I've done. Don't eat this. And then they say, no, well, I want to eat this, so I'm going to eat it. The next thing that happens is Adam does what? He blames his wife. And then Eve does what? She blames the serpent. It's, it's It's a domino effect of sin. When Adam and Eve did this, it affected their posterity, their progeny, everybody else after them. I won't read all, all of these verses, but I'll focus on Romans 5, 12 to 14, because we're going to be going there after um, as well. But basically what all of these verses are saying is that we are in Adam. When Adam and Eve sinned, we also sin in him because we are his progeny. Generational realities. That because we are human, we are born spiritually dead. Uh, I'll, read, I'll read Romans 5, and then uh, I'll read parts of Romans 3 as well. And I don't, you, don't, you don't have to remember this. I just want this, this image to be in your mind of what Paul is really talking about here as we get into what he's saying. So here, here's Romans 5, 12 to 14. Just as sin came into the world through one man. Think about that. Sin, this is what Paul is saying. It's not Paul's opinion. This is, this is the word of God. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So there's there's a lot in there. But the reality is that we are all dead in Adam. We are all sinners in Adam. Going to Romans 3. Paul's just been talking about sin, chapters 1 and 2. He's been talking about the sin of the Gentiles and how God has punished them because of their ignorance, because of their um, basically railing against God and, and saying, there is no God, 
even though we know there's a God, we're going to ignore him and do what we want to do. Paul's talking about how the Gentiles have come under sin and, and punishment because of that. But then he says to the Jews, he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Because we have the law, are we better off? And he says, no. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Doesn't matter if you have the law. Doesn't matter if you grew up in church. Doesn't matter if you are a drug addict on the street. Doesn't matter if you're Mother Teresa or Charles Manson. Every single person is under sin. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. I'll go back to Genesis 6. We'll just look at the last one. Genesis 6 and Mark. This is what this is what God says. If what Paul says in, in, in God's revealed word doesn't convince us, then what God says about us should convince us. This is Genesis 6.5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's like that's heavy. For God to look down and say that about people. Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within. That is what defiles a person. Jesus is saying that it's not the stuff outside. It's not being tempted by this and then doing this one thing that causes evil. It's from within. It's our, it's our evil desires and our, and our passions. It's our nature that says, I'm going to do this thing, and then we do it. It is from within. So then turning to Ephesians, where Paul says, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. This is what Paul is saying. We are broken. He's not pulling any punches. He's painting a picture of the human condition. The first thing he says, we are dead. You, you, me, every single person, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Trespasses, the Greek is, just means a false step. Sins means missing the mark. So it's two different things. One is sin of omission. One is sin of commission. As we see it, so James 4.17 just talks about um, how if you know what to do, but you do not do it, that is sin. That's a sin of omission, omitting something. Sins of commission, as we've seen in Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments, the Lord says, do this and don't do that. And if you do something, if you sin against God, that's a sin of commission. You commit something. So there's two, there's two ideas here, trespasses and sins. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. 
What it is is failing to meet the mark, failing to meet the standard. It's not just missing the mark by doing something wrong, but it's missing the mark by not doing it right. Romans 14.23 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. When we walk, how much do we do that is not done in faith? It should show us how huge grace really is. What Paul is saying is that a life without God is a living death. Because we look at the world and we see people who are alive. They're vigorous, they're climbing mountains, they're running marathons, they're doing so much. They're philanthropists. They're spending millions of dollars giving to this cause and that cause. They're saving the turtles and saving the whales and saving starving kids. But they're still dead in their trespasses and sins. A life without God is a living death. As vigorous as somebody is without God, they are still dead in their trespasses and sins. Next thing Paul says is that we are enslaved. We are dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. First, we are following the course of this world. We are living by this world's standards, this world's values, this world's ideas, not the kingdoms. We are living by the kingdom of the world instead of the kingdom of God. First John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We were enslaved to the world and all of its God-hating efforts and ideas. We followed the course of this world. We followed the prince of the power in the air. Now this is really easy to ignore because it's hard. Because we don't see things like this, but we followed the prince of the power of the air. We followed the devil. We followed Satan and his ideas. And it's not talking about like personal, personal attacks and personal, um, almost like a puppet, like he's telling us what to do. But it's this, it's I call it the spirit of the age. We follow the course of the devil, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. We are enslaved by the ideas of this world that are promoted by Satan. It's a pervasive mood that corrupts the world. It's not always direct and personal again, but it's this, this idea of a mood that pervades everything. It's almost like a water supply that is polluted. What the devil does is make us thirsty to drink the polluted water. Ephesians 6, this is just at the end of this book. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against 
the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what we wrestle against. Paul is saying that we were enslaved to that. And that unless you're in Christ, you are still enslaved to that. And finally, he says we're enslaved to the passions of our flesh. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And again, God created us good. So it's not the material things that we have to shun. It's the perversion of those material things. God made us good. But sin corrupts. It corrupts our thoughts. It corrupts our desires. It corrupts our hungers and our cravings. Until food and drink and the things that God has given us for good are perverted. Like marriage. Like there's, I'm just going to say sex. There's kids here. I don't know what's going on in their hearts and minds. But that's, that's the reality. These things are perverted. God made them good. And they've been perverted. This is who we were. Slaves to the passions of our flesh. Slaves to the desires of the body. Galatians 5. And it's not just the body, it's the mind. It's not just our body that is enslaved, it's our mind as well. So this, these are the works of the flesh. This is Paul in Galatians 5. The works of the flesh are evident. What we were enslaved to, what people are enslaved to, is evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is what we were enslaved to. This is what those who are not in Christ are enslaved to. The passions of our flesh. The flesh is, is Bible talk for our human nature. That which was created good, that has been corrupted by sin, that we are all born with. But Paul is not done. He says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were condemned by nature children of wrath. And when we think of this, we have to ask ourselves, what do all deserve? When we are born, what do we deserve? Biblically, do we all deserve heaven? And then we make a mistake, so then, then, then we're going to go to hell? And then we have to work our way back up somehow, or just pull on some more grace? When we are born, what do we deserve? Augustine had this, this Latin, it's a Latin phrase, it's, it's non posse non peccare, or posse non peccare. And at first, what, what, what the theology behind it is, is that when, we, when Adam was created, he was posse non peccare, able not to sin. He was, he was free. He could not sin if he wanted to. And then after the fall, after he sinned and was corrupted, 
He was non-posse non-picari, not able not to sin. What that means is whatever he did, he was going to sin. He was not able to keep himself from sin. This is where we get the doctrine of original sin from. And as Christians, this is what this is what this is what we subscribe to. This is what Scripture tells us. Let me read. This is our. This is the Alliance Church statement of faith. And it's not nothing special about the Alliance Church. This is basically every church's statement of faith will have something about original sin in here, unless they've gotten away from Scripture. Humankind, originally created in the image and likeness of God, fell through disobedience incurring thereby both physical and spiritual death. All people are born with a sinful nature, are separated from the life of God, and can be saved only through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The destiny of the impenitent and unbelieving is existence forever in conscious torment, but that of the believer is everlasting joy and bliss. This is a, this is a simple Christian biblical statement of faith about original sin. Most evangelicals don't believe this anymore because they believe we're born innocent and that we can work our way to God. That we've been endowed with some kind of power to get beyond what Scripture actually says about us. All people are born with a sinful nature and separated from the life of God. That's the doctrine of original sin. Posse non peccari. Not able not to sin. As we see in Romans 5, we are all in Adam. Regardless of your upbringing, regardless of how many times you've been to church, regardless of, of where you've been, whether it's the gutter or whether it's in an ivory palace, we are all in Adam. As Paul says, we are all dead. We are all enslaved. We are all condemned. This is who we are as people. That's where we live. It doesn't mean everybody's at the same level. There are people who do wonderful things in this world. There are people who are in prison for terrible things. There's a huge gap between the best person in the world and the worst person in the world. There's a huge gap between somebody like Bill Gates or Mother Teresa and Charles Manson. Or somebody worse. That is the first name I could think of. There's a huge gap. What original sin means is that it's not that we're as bad as we could be, but that what we are is radically corrupt. Everything is tainted by sin within us. Not just our actions, not just our thoughts, but everything is tainted. We are all under sin. We are all under the punishment of it. And this is where verse 4 should cause us to weep. We are spiritually dead. We are enslaved. We are condemned. What does John 3 say? I have that. Because what I hear a lot from people is, well, Jesus never condemned anybody. It says he came to save the world, not condemn it. And that's 100% right. Let's see, what, let's see what Scripture says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So what about those who don't believe in him? 
For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Amen. He did not. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. The reason Jesus didn't come to condemn is because whoever does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. By nature, children of wrath, spiritually dead, enslaved, condemned. This is the Bible's picture of who we are as people. Man by nature. But that's only three verses. Three verses. We've got a lot more to go. What's the first two verses of Ephesians 2, verse 4? First two words, sorry, of Ephesians 2, verse 4. In English, that is, anyway. But God. This is who you are, Paul is saying. This broken mess of garbage because of sin. You are dead. You are enslaved. You are condemned. This is who you are. In three verses, he paints a picture. And then in two words, he breaks us to see how good God is. This is you, but God. Not but you made a decision and God rewarded you. Not but you said a prayer and God gave you grace. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses and sins, even when we are this broken mess of garbage, because he loves us. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Why does Paul say we are predestined for adoption? Verses, verses 3 to 6 and verse 11, especially in chapter 1. Because we cannot save ourselves. These dry bones cannot get up and walk. Have sinews put on them. Have flesh and skin put on them. And breath put on them. Except from a work of God. These dry bones cannot live. This dead, enslaved, and condemned person cannot live apart from a glorious and powerful work of God. But God. Job 14 and 15 just talks about how no one can bring clean out of the unclean. Only God can. John chapter 3, Jesus says, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot understand the kingdom of heaven unless what? Unless you are born again. But what does it mean to be born again? I don't know what's next, but uh, what keeps coming up is this reality that, that God has done this. What has God done? He has 
caused us to be born again. That's 1 Peter. 2 Corinthians says he has shone light in our hearts. Paul, Paul likens it to, to the, the first day of creation. He brings it back to creation and says, just like God said, let there be light, and there was light. He has shone light in our hearts. He has caused us to be born again. So 517 says you are a new creation. Think about that. God didn't just patch us up with band-aids. He didn't just patch us up with band-aids. A new creation. It had to be a new creation because of who we were. And the new creation is originated and sustained by the grace and the mercy of God. Oh, and I'm taking up too much time. Too much time here. The question then that we have to ask ourselves, are we still enslaved? If we are in Christ, we are no longer condemned. If we are in Christ, we are no longer spiritually dead. The most dangerous thing for us, therefore, are we still enslaved? Are we still enslaved to the course of this world, to the spirit of this age, to the passions of our flesh? Or are we in Christ? Or are we still giving in to the flesh? Sure, we're bags of hammers and we still sin. But when we sin, are we repentant? Are we living a life of repentance? Are we living a life in the blood of Christ? Or are we just doing our own thing? And believing because we got our ticket stamped and we're good to go. Or are we taking hold of sanctification and working out what God has already worked in? When we look at our lives, what do we see? We need Christ all day long, every day for forgiveness, for cleansing, for sanctification, for breath, for life, the things that we don't even know. When we see our lives according to Scripture, grace becomes so amazing. And we move from thinking that God just put band-aids on us to realizing that He has created us anew. And that he has done it all in Christ. Before the foundation of the world. Predestining us for adoption to himself as his children. Not because of who we were or what we had done or what we would do. But according to his wonderful grace and mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are, Lord, for your grace, for, for everything that you have done apart from us. Lord, grant us a greater vision of your majesty, a greater vision of your grace, of your, of your, of your mercy, of, of your wisdom, Lord, and what you have done in our hearts and in our minds. We thank you that we are new creations, that you have basically recreated us all, Lord, that you have put aside 
our former lives, that you've put aside our former sins, Lord, that you have created us brand new in Christ. Lord, come and and by your Spirit work in us, work in our midst, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Embers in the Dark. I hope it was edifying and that, that it was able to help you grow in the knowledge of the truth. Have a good week.